Hello and welcome to the BJJ Camps podcast. Um, I'm just going to give you a quick intro today. I'm joined by Chris Fensom, who is a black belt under Hodger Gracie and Kev Capel. Um, we have a really good chat, but one of the main things I want to get across is Chris is running a big charity seminar um, in September. There's over 25 instructors going in High Wycombe. You can book on to join everybody there at the I think it's on Smooth Comp. So have a look on Smooth Comp and you should be able to find yourself on there. Uh, and you can join us down there. There's myself, Dan Strauss, uh, Kev Capel, uh, Chris Fensom, and I think there's about another 20 instructors as well. I try and list them all, but I definitely miss some out. So without further ado, we will crack on with the podcast and our chat with Chris. Hello, Chris Fensom. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm very good. Are you well? Yeah, really good. Thanks, buddy. It's uh, it's unusual to have good British weather, so like, puts me in a good mood. <laughs> yeah, we had it like, absolutely. It was like thirty something degrees yesterday, and then literally just as we got to the gym to train, it just like this really heavy downpour for about half an hour, and then it's been dry again since. Well, you get the most rain in the country statistically, right? I couldn't tell you, but I, I, I assume there's reasons there's just lakes everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, that's a good point. That, that, yeah. That's my thought process behind it. There's no science. I just go, well, there's freaking water everywhere here. So, yeah, probably. <laughs> and you just did a podcast with Gordo. How was that? That was good. I, I had some audio difficulties on it. Uh, some of it wasn't recorded, but it was uh, it was quite insane. Especially what wasn't recorded, actually, I found the most interesting. Um, yeah. We talked a lot about his sort of history, who he trained with. Yeah. Um, he had a lot to say about sort of Carlos Machado, Carlos Gracie Jr., uh, Jean-Jacques Machado. Nothing that you wouldn't expect, to be fair. Just that the yeah. sort of level of training was just... Very, very intense. Well, I, I I trained at Gordo's in Rio when I was like a purple bat. Well, that's probably like six, seven years ago, maybe now, maybe more. And uh, it was such a cool... And Rafael Dos Anjos was on the mat. And, yeah, uh, yeah. It's good. I just love the atmosphere of the gym. And it was one of the coolest things was all these guys had trained together for years. And they're clearly old mates, you know. And so they'd get together in the morning to train. I'm going to put quote marks, train. And it's just a bunch of old men drinking coffee and they're telling their wives they're doing exercise <laughs> <laughs> and taking the piss out of the young guys. It was like, it was quite good. And then it was so, they, Gordo didn't have a name for anything. I was trying to make notes. Yeah. So I could go home and practice what I learned. And he's like, I'm like, what's this called? And he's like, it's a joke. I'm like, what's this called? He's like, sweep. I'm like, I need some specifics. I need something I can put on YouTube to remind myself of this move. Uh, so you like like, it was amazing training. So you like the tenth planet style of names for stuff? A little like I'm not. I don't like the tenth planet way because I teach kids classes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I like I like to give something a name, yeah, to make it a little bit more memorable. And then like coming up with your own like unique name makes sense because you, if you're cornering someone, you don't want to shout. There's so I work as a commentator, and one of my pet peeves is when you see someone and like. You or I can recognize that they're setting up a triangle and it's a nice little yeah, setup yeah. or something. 
and then their corner men clearly recognize it and they're like yeah get the triangle and like give it away to the other guy and it just drives me insane i'm like just say nothing just let let the guy work just be quiet for a minute yeah if, if so, he's yeah. if he's doing something positive i'm uh i really enjoy cornering but i'm very short and specific with what i say and it'd be something yeah. as simple as hips to the left hips to the you know just really basic things so that as soon as whoever i'm cornering puts themselves in that position they pretty much can work out for themselves what i want um i, yeah. I find that works really I, well and i think if you talk non-stop you just get tuned out you yeah become like the background noise because you're, you're one of the instructions you want to stand out and then for mma because you got rounds like you can see the good coaches straight away because they don't run in the cage like all tense they just walk in slowly. They go to their fighter. They're like, take a breath. And they, they realize the main priority is it's a minute's rest. And there's so many corner men that run in angry. And they're like screaming in their face what they got to do. Completely overwhelm them with information. Ruin their rest. And then go out again and think they did a good job. And it's like, you're much better off just going in there, telling them to take deep breaths and then leaving again yeah. than you are. No, I agree with you on that. Really. But yeah, my cornering flits between, let's say, really short, simple instructions and what the fuck have you done that for you mong i often throw <laughs> especially when i'm cornering will my little brother like so i just it's yeah like don't give up the underhook you bloody idiot and i'm like i've been told off by referees before for just not cornering constructively <laughs> like, well if he's being an idiot he needs to know it's very simple well, and it's, it's figuring out your fighter as well or your yeah. athlete it's like some some people really need positive feedback and some people they just like they rise if you're like the classic one is you know someone's two rounds down with a round to go it's like do you tell them look you're two rounds down you've got to go for it oh well, so like some people, the they're gonna go yeah they like they might throw caution to the wind and go for it where someone else is like oh no i'm two rounds down i've lost it's all gone wrong so it's just trying to figure out your fire it's hard to do sometimes yeah i tend to find as well um the sort of when I'm going, wow, what the fuck have you doing? Why have you let go of that? It tends to get in the other person's head. Yeah, I tend to find that yeah, yeah. that sort of thing. I don't know. It almost makes the person that they're fighting throw a little bit of caution to the wind and go and, and start doing a little bit too much, and they, they then they make mistakes. That's what I've noticed. Yeah, as opposed to my fighter, if that makes sense, they get a little bit ahead of themselves, going, "Ah, he's fucking up here. I can make, a, I can take advantage of this." Yeah. So I, I quite like it for that sort of side yeah, I think of things the as well. Is often, yeah, often just not. Yeah, silence is okay. Just realizing as a corner man that you don't, you can just say nothing. And like, especially sometimes, you know, it's a weird position or like. You know, wrestling exchange, and you're like, I don't know what to do. Like sometimes, as coaches, we're like, I, I, I know what I would do in that position, but I'm a different build to you or whatever. Yeah. So I'm like, maybe the best thing to do is just shut up and let him think. <laughs> yeah, I think. Out for himself. I see. I've had, I've obviously been scrapping him. You know, my brother's tried to corner me, and he's telling me to do something specific, and I'm like, Yeah, nah, that's not me. That involves mm. using up energy and moving, and I'm not about that. I'll just. Yeah. hang fire, wait for my time. And, you know, it's, again, it's different styles as well. Luckily, I, I, I use Will specifically because I corner him more than anybody else. And uh, I know how he fights probably better than he does at yeah. this stage. Um, 
he'll suss it out. He'll realise he's actually a lot better than me soon. But uh, I, hope he, I, hope he, I hope he actually doesn't listen to any of this because it's the only it's the only place I ever admit. You <laughs> <laughs> can be emotionally honest to the world. <laughs> so when when you went over to train with Gordo, was that with the Connection Rio? Was that when yeah, that was a big? Was. Uh, is that still going? Yeah. No, it shut down. I, I think they were renting. Yeah, they were renting the building that then they like sublet or rented out as yeah. a hostel, and um, it was awesome, man. Because like you're you're sharing a house with a load of other with twenty five other people and mm. really into jiu-jitsu and um there's a little swimming pool i mean it's still a hostel it's pretty gross right and there's yeah. there's always the one dude the one dude that's training in 110 degrees in rio that's not showering but uh <laughs> i can't grasp that me i don't understand it <laughs> and uh what was nice as well as i took i took one of so i was probably how old was i i think i was like 27 and i took a one of my students who was like 19 and most of the guys there were like 19, 20, that kind of age, the kind of gap theory yeah. age. And, uh, they'd all go off clubbing and partying and I just sit in a hammock, with the book and, yeah. like, <laughs> and recovering between training sessions. And, uh, it was awesome. And yeah. And then Gordo's was right down the road. Like you could see Gordo's gym, but yeah. then you had Gracie Baja and, and, um, all these other amazing gyms as well like right down the road and so i got to like train it with some of the best guys in the world i don't think rio is quite the same anymore because i think a lot of those awesome guys have moved on yeah i think a, a lot of them like segado's now in florida um the machados are all in america i think yeah. i mean i think because ben's not long come back from rio and he said it's just it's full of absolute killers but they're not necessarily names yeah, yeah. And it, I think that's partly, like, economical as well. Like, it's quite expensive to get to other places to compete. And mm. then, yeah. you know, it, you don't stand out. But I got I got two cool stories from Brazil. So, first one, they go, oh, come to this. Come train with Terror A, right? And then there's, like, a bit of a legend. And then it's his history and stuff. And I was like, oh, that'd be cool. So... I turn up to a car park and I'm like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> and then like what was like used to be like a security office for this car park just had like maybe 12 jigsaw mats thrown down. And then Terra A did a class for like four of us. And it Frickin was like, hell. it was incredible. It was so good. And then the, the second one, they go, oh, we've got this favela project um, and it's to help uh, you know, kids in the street and if they show promise at jiu-jitsu they can live in this gym in a favela and train full time there's like bunk beds at the end we'd love for all you Connection Rio guys to come over just join in a training session and like train with these guys and they're, they're really good training partners so I'm like oh that's awesome so the guy running the charity leaves us like instructions what bus to take so we get on the bus and we're like can you take us to here in like terrible Portuguese and they're like uh you don't want to go there. So they're like, no, we do. We've been invited. And the guy's like, the bus driver's like, no, like, you, like, you can't go there. You're a tourist. Like, you don't no, want to go for Vela's. Yeah. And it, no, no, we're like, no, it's fine. And he's like, in broken English, like, the police don't go there. And we're like, no, we've been invited. Like, it, it's fine. So we get the bus. We get off the bus. And it's like, it's normal favela. And uh, there's buses going past full of American tourists that do favela tours. And they have a razor wire around the bus and like bars on the windows and stuff oh, and Jesus. they drive 
and I'm just stood on the street going, how come they need the bus? <laughs> and uh, so we start walking, following this map. And there's a group of 20 guys just following us 10, like through this favela as we're trying to find this gym. And they're like following and then they're, like, they're shouting at other people in the street. They're like, come follow the green goes or whatever. We get to the gym and we're like, hi, we're here. And he's like, oh, great. And he's like, oh, go talk to these dudes that have been following you. So he goes, talks to them. And they all come up and start hugging us. And they're like, oh, we're so sorry. We're so sorry. And I was like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know why you're sorry. And he's like, oh, we're about to rob you. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay. And then, yeah, we did this training session in this huge gym uh, that had bunk beds around the edge. And if you if you showed promise, you could just live there and train full time. Lucas Hulk Barboza was there. Yeah. He's like... It's like seven years ago. So it's before he had like his big break, went to America and stuff. And he was just smashing everyone. The guy was incredible. And then afterwards, we went for like barbecue food in the favela, which is like chicken hearts and chicken yeah, feet yeah. and stuff like that. Really nice though. And a load of the guys that were going to come and mug us came and had lunch with us. And that was my favela experience. <laughs> uh, it's better than a lot of favela experiences I've heard. You got, you, you got a hug instead of your wallet being robbed and just being stabbed. So... Yeah, I mean, I'd take that as a win. And, and these guys are incredible. Like the level of, because they're just full time athletes training six hours a day. Yeah. And like, and they're, they're just so, so good. And they were fighting for their place there. You know, if someone else comes in and they're better than you, you lose your bed, you got to go back to struggling. Yeah. yeah. To live. So it was like survival of the fittest. Also, the motivated so just, as well. Yeah, a bunch of 16-year-olds with like the worst cauliflower you've ever seen in your life just murdering each other, but <laughs> it was good. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, they'd have to be 16 to be doing six hours a day. I couldn't do that. No, no. I like. I look at some of the schedules now. Like, you know, Do you ever like go on like, Reddit on BGJ Reddit or whatever? Yeah, every now and of... again I, I get drawn in. It's like a rabbit hole. Oh, it's terrible. But some of the like you know, top guys put out their schedule of how much they train and they're clearly like juiced to the gills and whatever to be able to do six, seven hours a day. But I think they lie. They're... I genuinely think they're lying yeah. throughout it because I used to, when I was a teenager, I used to swim, I used to do 30 hours a week and my body was wow. absolutely ruined. Like, it yeah. just everything was, yeah, I was just absolutely broken by the time, by the time my shoulder eventually gave up and I had to stop. My whole body, like my knees were bad, just everything was just agony. And I was 18. See, I think a lot, I've, I like talked to, uh, who was I talking to about? I was talking to Craig Jones about this. And he's like, he was telling me that he does put in like six hours a day, but most of it's sat watching tape and mm. studying. And like, that's what people don't realize is they assume you're rolling six hours a day. It's basically impossible. No, but, I mean, it's yeah, and it's unrealistic as well. Like I would, uh, I could maybe roll four times a week for an hour. Any yeah. any more yeah. than that, and yeah, my my body's not a huge fan. And it's how how do you now down? Thirty. That's the problem. Oh, it gets worse, buddy. Yeah, no, no. The last few years, that's when it's really started hitting me. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I was. I'm just forever, just little niggly injuries. I say my neck's been bad since I was a teenager just because of how off balance I am. Um, So I I do my work to try and keep that in line. But if that goes, I'm like, well, I can teach you, but I'm not going to be rolling for a couple of weeks. 
Yeah. It used to be a lot worse. Let's say when I was in my mid twenties, if it went, I was out of rolling three months minimum until it yeah. all the swelling went down. It righted itself. But uh, my wife got a a targeted cryotherapy machine, and it is brilliant. So like you know like really? you, yeah you know like your cryo chambers that you get. You just go and stand in them, and it reduces your body temperature. It's like that, but just for your joints, so it doesn't stress your cardiovascular system. Now, I don't. I've not properly read into all the science of it. She keeps trying to tell me, but there's usually TV on and I'm not listening, if I'm <laughs> honest. Um, but it's... That's, the, that's the thing about those cryo things. I hear, like, a load of athletes do it. And like you watch the Olympics, people will jump in an ice bath straight away. But then the research doesn't seem to follow it up. But then maybe it's because the research is done on a load of uni students and not yeah, you know, so athletes like you. The... The, the cryo chambers, I essentially, if if you look into the certain avenues of like the is it the Wim Hof method, yeah, that, yeah. that have been studied, and essentially every time he immerses himself in extreme cold, he gets an adrenaline rush, so he'll feel damn good afterwards. Yeah, but that's your fight or flight kicking in. Yeah, so that yeah, kicking in every yeah. single day that that it'll. It'll have its benefits on your joints and things like that, but over a long period of time, that's got to take its toll on your heart. Yeah, and then you possibly, yeah, fatiguing your adrenals. Yeah. A bit like, kind of like having too much coffee or something. But yeah, I I just assume it's it's doing something every day that really sucks, so the rest of your day feels pretty good because you're not in an ice bath. But like, yeah, I suppose there is anything, that. Right? But yes, if but you like electrocuted yourself every morning. You'd be like, "Well, I'm happy now because I'm not being electrocuted anymore." Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the the uh, the one that Caroline's got is uh, it's a it's a targeted one. So you just essentially it sprays yeah. gas out at your joint, drops it down into yeah. thermal shock, everything constricts, then it all starts to dilate again. It just flushes it. So ligament and tendon injuries, it's the best thing for it. I had uh, I had. I tendonitis in my elbow for 18 months and I was doing loads and yeah. loads of rehab and trying to stretch it, trying to ice it, just doing everything I could at the time to try and get rid of it. And it, and it didn't go anywhere. I had three sessions on that and, it, and it's gone. It's never been back since. I'm writing this down. I'm going to Google this after. I'll send you a link I, to I've it. I've heard of therapy, but I've never heard of the targeted one. Is it without, is it blowing you up? Is it expensive? The machine is, yeah. I'll um, what I'll do, Chris, I'll get her to bring it down when we come down in September. Yeah, perfect. I'll get her to br- I'll get her to bring it with us because it's uh, it's clever, really clever. I, I say I get her to use it on my hands because like I'm grabbing gears all the time, so my fingers slowly go, and yeah, yeah, it it frees up the movement in my fingers very very easily, and yeah, it just. With, without, I'm waiting for to have my meniscus repaired. So without having that done once a week, I'd probably not be training. Have you got a date for your meniscus surgery? Yeah, they said, oh yeah, we'll ring you and give you a date about three months ago. I've not had anything oh, since. That is NHS, it's yeah. fun, isn't it? I've, I've had meniscus surgery. It's uh, it's not too bad. It's quick recovery. Yeah, uh... as long as you're clever with it and not trying to spar straight away. Uh, I think I was a lot, I was in uh, early twenties, but yeah, I just passed straight away and it still recovered. So. Ah, fair enough. I've got uh, one one of the lads that works for me is a nurse that works in the theatres with meniscus. I think he's had his uh, meniscus done twice, 
He said the yeah. second time was a lot better because he he went back slower. Yeah, I'm. It's probably always wise, especially like not that I'm calling you old, but when you start getting a little bit older, yeah. recovery is slower. I want to ask you, Sam, about your disability, if you don't mind. Is that all right? Yeah, crack on. What's it like? What obviously you were a high-level swimmer, very dedicated to that. Mm. Now, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, black belt, and instructor. Like, do you ever find yourself? I don't know what the white way of putting this is like. Feeling sorry for yourself, or you're just so used to it that you just kind of carry on. I, I had a conversation similar to this the other day um, with somebody, and I think it, I think it all came down to the way my mum and dad were. Um, I, I don't. I just pretty much do everything for myself. I always have done, but I swam all through my teens and even yeah. before that. So I, what I saw a lot of was people with similar disabilities to me plus people with much worse and then people with much milder um some of them that they were they were you know they had parents similar to mine and they were made to do things themselves you yeah, yeah. Does that makes it you, you know you're made to problem yeah. solve for yourselves others had people around them that would just constantly do everything for them yeah. um now I still know a lot of these people now and the ones that had people do everything for them struggle and they're depressed and they're just every little obstacle that's put in front of them gets them down because they're not yeah. solving it themselves. Um, I, I genuinely think I don't get like that because I was never allowed to be growing up. So my mum and dad, my mom and dad were brilliant. I, I can't fault them. I'm really lucky to have the parents that I have. Um, but they wouldn't do everything for me as a kid. So I was, the, the easiest example I used the other day was I was the first to learn to tie my shoelaces in my class when I was five. That's awesome. Simply because my dad just went, well, you'd be able to do it. Go on, crack on. And he just yeah, sat yeah. there with me and talked me through it as I did it. And I, you know, I learned to do it at four, five, something like that. And yeah, I, I was yeah. the sort of first to, and that was, how he was with me throughout everything. It's exactly the same. So I, I learned to problem solve for myself from a very young age. And I think that's the key as to more for the jujitsu more than anything. Um, that's the key as to why I'm good at teaching it. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I've always problem solved everything. I've never, I've never looked specifically for somebody to go to and go, Oh, well I can't do this. So what can I do? I'd always try and work yep. it out for myself first. And then if I was unsure about it, I would go to somebody and ask their opinion. So like Ben's Ben's my instructor now. First time I met Ben, and I've, I've said this before, he, he was doing a seminar at Gracie Bar Preston. And we were doing an open guard thing. So I started drilling and I'm sort of working my way through and he wanted a collar and a sleeve grip. And I just had the collar grip. I'm like, well, I can cup his hand and up. He don't move it, but he'll move it and Ben walked over to me the first thing he said was how are you doing this with your spacky hand then that was it <laughs> first thing he said to me and I went well I ain't got a clue yet but I'll figure it out and let you know <laughs> and that was it so that's that's pretty much how we've been since we first met we just ripped the shit out of each other all the time um, yeah that's awesome but I've, I've also been to seminars where and I'm not saying this is wrong in any way where the person 
teachings come over and gone, oh, you well, oh, you could change it this way and you could do that way. And I'm sort of working my way through going, yeah, I could, but I reckon I could do this if I just do this bit differently. And I I have to problem solve yeah. it for myself. It's it's like a kid, and you wouldn't let a kid not think for themselves. Yeah, and I think that's what Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is great for as well, because even if someone shows, I'm, I'm six foot five, I'm very, I'm pretty tall. Yeah. If someone shows me a technique, often I've got to modify it to, you know, fit my body type. Yeah, the yeah. same if it's short or, you know, round or whatever else you may be. So, and it's constant. That's why they call it your game, right? It's like figuring out how to make it work for your body. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're just doing this the same thing around your disabilities. You're like you're making it work for your body. Yeah. I, I, the, amazing thing with you is it's so like motivational for other people i probably you probably don't think about it very much but no i, you know. I said this to i said this to my wife the other day because somebody else had said it to me um and i went i don't get it i don't i, I don't see <laughs> how i can be i just i don't get it i'm just i'm just a plonker that likes to roll around in my pajamas and i just let me, put, let me i'll put it to you this way that Life is hard for everyone sometimes, right? And yeah, then, yeah, yeah. And there's someone, there's a there's a frustrated blue belt who feels like they're not getting better, and they're looking at you, going, "That guy, not only did he get through these frustrations and get through all these bouts and got through that level, but he did it, you know, with a with a disability and still smashed it, and like, you know, and that's that's like motivational. That's a someone to you know aim at to be like. Yeah. And like your way. Of, your mental attitude, you might feel like, oh, just get on with it, but that's motivational to people. They go, oh, he's just getting on with it. I'm just going to get on with it. And um, it's great. Like, And it's leading by example. You're not sat there at the front of the class going, right, guys, this is how I cope with life and like <laughs> like a shitty motivational speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but you're just doing the damn thing, and that's that's all you need to do. Yeah, because uh, I, I do often get asked, you know, what's it, what, what's, what's doing jiu-jitsu like with one arm? I'm like, well, I don't really know. I can't answer yeah, your question. Is. If if I'd have been training jiu-jitsu, then lost my arm, and then had to carry on training, then I'd be able to answer your question. But I've got no experience yeah. of doing it with two hands. So although yeah. I, I make a point of remembering all the techniques I'm going to teach and teaching them two people with two hands, I always put a spin on it that, that I have to. So my, yeah. um, my, my arm crushes that I that I do are very different to what everybody else does. Like, uh, yeah. what else is it called? Like a violin arm bar. It's the stupidest name for it, but apparently it's called that. <laughs> uh, Tom Barlow <laughs> call it that. I had to laugh. Um, but yeah, the, the way I finish that is very different to when I trained with Ross Nichols, how he was finishing it. Yeah. So I've solved my problem for myself. I've given myself a way of doing it. And then I, I went to Ross, yeah, what, this is how I finish it because this is how I have to finish it. What do you think of this? And uh, he went, oh, actually, that's better than what I'm doing. So he then went away and messaged me. Uh, this was when he was up doing a camp. He messaged me a couple of weeks after and just went, oh, I've added your little twist onto my arm crush and it's it's working a hell of a lot better. I can't take any credit. Yeah, I've, awesome. I've, I've not reinvented the wheel or anything. I'm just going, well, I have to do it like this. Let me know yeah. what you think of it. And it forces you to be creative. I mean, I've had similar things when I've had injuries and had to work around 
you know, a, when I was waiting for meniscus surgery, my leg would lock out a lot and uh, it was really hard to hold closed guard. Yeah. So I could do butterfly guard. I could do single leg butterfly guard and my leg that would lock out would just be flopped on the outside. But all of a sudden I came up with this whole one leg butterfly game that I still use to this day yeah. to get, get points and comps. And it was, if I hadn't hurt my leg, it would have probably never come around. It's yeah. just where I worked around it. Yeah, so when my when my knee first flared up, I, I actually damaged my meniscus because I got an infection in the skin, which just swelled my joint up. And then, oh. obviously, trying to move around and look after kids, uh, that was what yeah. damaged my meniscus. So when I got back to training, I could I still couldn't weight bear or anything through my knee. So I just started playing half guard, and I was yeah. essentially I went. That's how God will develop half guard. So I thought, well, whilst I can't use it, I'll just do that, and I ended up coming up with well, I ended up um, basically managing a worker technique that I'd tried five six years ago off watching Hodger Gracie do it and I was like I'm never going to be able to do this it doesn't make any freaking sense to me I can't do it and yeah I sort of stumbled upon it again and then went oh actually I do know this because I've seen it five years ago I just now know how to do it because I've forced myself to do it yeah yeah, it's just making the best out of the situation. Isn't it? Yeah, I think, and, and I think if you've if you've got little injuries somewhere, or you know, an injury in your shoulder, or you just work around it. Mm. You've obviously got to pick your training partners cleverly. <laughs> yeah, there's a few guys I avoid if I'm hurt, but yeah. Yeah, you, you know, you, you're not <laughs> gonna go, you're not gonna go with Roydy Smash Gorilla in the corner here if he's just. <laughs> it's it's just not gonna work. You've you've got to pick and choose who you roll with. And I think, I think you tend to find that as you do that, I don't know, some people get the feelings hurt when you're not rolling with them, but the simple fact is you've got to look after yourself because you've got a job to go back to most of the time. Yeah, and I, I say this in my club. I'm like, I don't, I, don't, I don't do the whole you can't ask a high about. I, like, you can ask whoever you want, and but you can also say no. Yeah. And you don't have to... You don't have to give a justification because you know there's the woman that don't feel comfortable with this guy or you know it's just this guy goes too hard or whatever it's just you know it's your body it's the clat like you should be able to choose who touches you in the yeah bottom. absolutely yeah. i think i had um i had a situation a while ago where there was a lad that was training came up to me and went I really don't know how to say this, but I don't feel comfortable rolling with this person and it's absolutely yep. nothing to do with them, but there's something about them that reminds me of somebody else. Yeah. And I just went, well, don't don't roll with them then. Yeah. There's nothing else you can do. Just, you know, just say, look, I'm all right. And And if you think they're getting upset about it, then... Let them come to me, and I'll just say, "Well, you pick, choose who you roll with." I'm sure it's nothing personal. I think nothing ever, nothing ever's transpired. I think they train together now, mm. but yeah, I think do what you want. I don't. Think... One of the things I noticed in Brazil was that they would most of the gyms would partner you up. The coach would go, "You go with you, you go with you, you go with you," and I like. I think it is good because there's some people that try to avoid the hard rounds or whatever, mm -hmm. like. So like, was that for drilling or sparring? Sparring, Gordo definitely did it because I'd always get put with some giant freaking 
black belt, which would be all right now, but like then wasn't all right. <laughs> just yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, they like you know smashed the tourist, but yeah, it was good in that way because it kind of forced you to have tough rounds. But then it, it's like yeah, if you're hurt, if you're injured, or you just don't feel comfortable with someone, I I, I let my students choose who they want to train with. I wouldn't tell them unless they were getting ready to compete or something. Yeah. See, I when it comes to actually drilling techniques i partner people up yeah so I, i'll sort of i'll show the technique and i'll go right get against wall i'll give you your partner for the day um and i do that for i think i did it i think i did it once because of i was partnering people up for like covid or whatever mm. and it was it was something to do with that and then i had loads of messages afterwards just going Oh, actually, do you know what? I really liked it when you partnered us up because it takes away that kind of schoolyard being left stood in the corner feeling. Yeah, especially new guys, eh? Yeah. They don't like, you've got this group of people that have had this relationship they've built over years and someone new, they've come in this quite intimidating environment and nobody wants to be friends with them. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, yeah, so I started partnering people up for drilling and it was it was actually my wife that first went, I much I prefer it when you do that because you're not stood in the corner sort of twiddling your thumbs waiting for somebody to pick you. And then I had yeah. literally within a week, I had five, six, seven other people message me going, oh, that's better. That's a good idea. I'm writing that down as well. I'm going to, at the very least, give it a little experiment. It, it works well. I do it in my beginner's classes more than my advanced classes. Yeah, because they've been there enough. Yeah, but I'm also yeah. not adverse to, in the advanced classes, splitting people up from who they've partnered with and putting them with somebody else. Yeah, yeah. You know, body think, types and things. Yeah, but then I don't always follow, follow the body type thing. Because yeah. on the odd occasion, if I want something, I, I want a technique that's going to work pretty much universally. So I've done it yeah. where I've, I've taught a certain technique and then gone, right, you're five foot four, you're six foot eight, off you go. Get figure it. it out yeah yeah go work it out because again i think you've got to you've got to learn to problem solve for yourself yeah um and the same with as i do it with my kids classes where because you always get the kids in the kids classes and you'll know i'll say i'll say this and you'll know exactly which kids you've got that do it <laughs> where you, you'll show them the technique you'll break it down you'll make it as simple as you can possibly make it you ask them if they've all concentrated and they go, yeah, and then they walk off and one of them will just stand there and go, I don't know what to do. Yeah, I've got a few of those. <laughs> yeah. And so, so my, my reply to them is, well, you haven't tried. You haven't tried yeah. yet. Have a go. See if you can do it. And then if you can't do it in two or three turns, then come back to me. See, I, I tried to do this. Uh, I got this from Nick Gregory Ardis. Uh, one of Roger's black belts, and he'd teach a technique. He does it in an adult's class, but I do it in a kid's class. And he'd break it down to five steps. Yeah. And then the last time through, he'd go, you, what's step number one? You, what's step number two? So the idea is it's kind of, it's a little bit of pressure. they got to concentrate, otherwise they're going to look stupid in front of everyone. <laughs> yeah, that's Which, fair. It does work. It works better on adults probably because they care if they look stupid. But also, I'm probably the kid that, would daydream i'm definitely the adult that daydreams when there's technique being shown <laughs> i like i always get my partner to do it first because like, oh that's what we're doing all right yeah just give you a kickback yeah i think uh, but i think uh, as as an instructor as well you have to pay attention to who learns from watching who who learns from listening and who yeah. learns from actually feeling something and doing something 
Um, yeah. And I think they're once you know which of your students do that, you know which ones are going to be able to just go off and drill it to start with just by watching. You know yeah. which ones you have to change your description of what you're doing for. Um, and you know the students that you've got that you're literally going to have to go straight over to them and do it on them. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, i got a few of those. <laughs> well, see, I, I'm the first to do it. If, if I, I, I'm quite a good visual learner. I can sort of watch it and then go and do it yeah. pretty well. Um, but if I can't... But then you're, you're, you're also building on a base of knowledge that you've already got. Yeah. So the visual learning becomes easier, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think I've, I think I've always been a visual learner in everything that I've done. Um, I think that's just the way my brain's wired. Um, but also because of when I was swimming, I used to ha- you used to have to learn to feel the water and feel where the sort of propulsion was coming from and things like that. I, I get a lot out of being able to feel something as well, especially yeah. when it's pressure based. Yeah. I think I, I I get that. I think I've got a little bit of uh, it's not it's got better and better as I've got older, but certainly as a kid, like a little bit of ADD that probably wasn't diagnosed back then, and the pressure of jujitsu and like being forced to go practice the move, kind of makes it go into my head. Mm. Whereas kind of sitting and just watching someone, and now it does go in a little bit. I can sit and watch tape, but. Certainly, when I started out, just didn't really go in at all. I yeah. essentially daydream and then just copy whatever my partner did was the was the move. Yeah, and I think, like you said, everybody learns in different ways. So I can't sit and watch tape unless I'm looking for something specific. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, unless I'm going right, I I, I want to go and watch Hodge Gracie because I want to specifically learn how he attacks a strangle from mount. And then I'll go and watch that yeah. over and over and over and just try and make it as intricate as I can and then simplify it. Um, but if you just went, oh, this person fights really well, go and watch them. I'm like, well, there's a hell of a lot to watch. What do you want me to focus on? Because yeah. I can't focus on all of that. There is too much going on. Yeah. And I only ever watch it from the context of like studying someone like Roger or... You know, if I'm doing a class on a specific position, you know, I'll, I'll watch a specific, you know, Marcelo Garcia, I'm teaching guillotine, say, and yeah. be like, it's almost like motivation. And then I quite like dropping in a in a class, probably impresses people with my knowledge, but I've researched it two hours earlier. But it's like, Marcelo used this in the 2001, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a jiu library, but I've got it written down on a piece of paper. But, yeah, uh, I think... I, um, yeah, I've been on the end of Roger's crossbow for a mount. It's pretty miserable. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to a seminar that Roger's doing in uh, in a few weeks, actually. So it'll be one of them things. So when we had Mauricio up, I went, you're going to have to neon belly me because I've been waiting nearly 10 years just to feel that. So I've had that one as well. On. It's like the, it's, it's bingo. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, it was it was one of them where... I, t- I tell you one that you want because Mauricio's neon belly is, is horrendous, but you know it's going to be horrendous. Um, Steve Gawthorpe's got a weird little arm, almost like an arm crush that he does from Mount, and it doesn't even yeah. look like he's doing anything. Write it down. Um, remind, remind me, and I'll I'll show you it on in September. Um, yeah. Because 
I don't do it as well as Steve because he's made of everything. Everything on Steve is an edge. He's just <laughs> everything hurts. He grabs your collar and it hurts. It's just, it's just insane. But um, yeah, he's got a weird little, almost like a tricep tendon crush that he does from mount. So. But I've like Steve, come and do this to me because I I don't know if I'm doing it right. And he, he mounted me, put his arm into position, put his weight down, and I and I squealed. I literally squealed like a pig. Yeah. I didn't expect it to be. It, it wasn't at all what I thought it was. Um, but yeah, that that's one that you need to feel at some point. That's awful. Just absolutely awful. But brilliant at the same time. I got it. Are you <laughs> the last time I rolled with Roger, he sprawled his big Brazilian dick just square into my face. Lovely. <laughs> just having a flashback to it. It was, this is like just before lockdown. So I was going to the comp class in London and it, it like, it's probably just the same now. I haven't been back to be honest since lockdown got lifted, but there could be like 10, 15 black belts on the map. Yeah. And you'd like put them all together. So you'd be playing King of the Hill, only brown on black belts, only black belts Sunday. And um, like, I was doing Imanari rolls and I was catching a few of them, right? It's in the gi, so it's a bit cheeky, but I wasn't grabbing the root leg and like just within the rules. And uh, so I go out, it's winter stays on, King of the Hill, stood up and I got Roger and I'm like, there's no way I'm throwing him or taking him down. Like he's just, he's a man mountain in my wrestling shit. Yeah. So I was like, I, I think I'm going to hurl this Imanari at him. I might catch him. Because it's like not many people do it. Not many people my size do it anyway. So I dive on this Imanari and he just power sprawls and just his dick just slapped me in the face <laughs> so hard. Like I was concussed by his cock and uh, and I had to go sit out and he just carried on. <laughs> just, That's how tough I'm just, 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 yeah, pushed you off to the side and carried on. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, stupid move. I'm like, thanks, buddy. Yep. This <laughs> is my life's work right here. <laughs> yeah. He's all everything's basics with Hodger, though, isn't it? So I, I could imagine, uh, you know, there's the infamous video of Henzo sat at the side telling somebody to go shove his somersaults up his ass or something like that. Yeah, was you it know? Ryan? It was what? Yeah, one of the other Gracies. Yeah, I can't remember who it was, but I've, I've just remember the clip of him sat at the side, said it's a stupid move, go shove your somersaults up your asses, something along those lines. I just thought it. it it just is what it is. And if you focus on your basics all the time, everything else is stupid. That's the thing. Everyone's like, oh, he just does basics. He does the best. And they're like, yeah, but if you got, if you get him to teach you something basic, like the details and the positioning and the pressure, and then you suddenly realize the arm bar that you've been doing with, you know, 10 little points of focus, he's doing with 20, 30 little points of focus. So like, he, you know, his armbar is actually way more complex than a Berenbolo because yeah. he just has so many details, so much positioning, so much pressure. But the thing about Roger is like, everyone goes, oh, it's basic. It's like, but his, he d understands everything else, like I, defensively. I think what, every, you, everything... You're not going to catch him with something flashy. No, I think everything that Hodger does that seems basic looks basic because he's got such control over the gripping and the balance phases of the fighting that yeah. the actual technique itself just essentially happens. He knows exactly what he wants 
but he only yeah. attacks it when his grip and the balance is perfect. Yeah, and it, I remember I went to one comp class, and this is this is years and years ago, where everyone it's like the Baron Bolo just like come in. Yeah, and it was there was no you couldn't YouTube Baron Bolo defense. No one had figured it out. The, the offense was there, but the defense wasn't, and people were starting to catch it in competitions in the gym and stuff. And uh, I went to this comp session. We're like warming up. And Roger's in the corner with this, another big guy who's really good at Berenbolos and been getting comp people in competition in Berenbolos. And Roger's like, Berenbolo me. So he does it. Like, All right, do it again. He does it. He's like, do it one more time. And then Roger lifts his hips, turns his, keeps his hips off the floor to stop him spinning underneath, turns his hips, knee slides out. Yeah. And then he goes, right, everyone come around. And he just teaches everyone this move that he's made up 10 seconds ago that no one's figured out how to stop in Baron Bolo. And he had someone do it to him three times. He's like, oh, I've got this. And then, like, not just taught it, but with, like, details and points and, like, I'm sure he got it, made it even better now. But I was like, he's now un Baron bolo <laughs> Yeah, I think, like... but I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that he puts more emphasis on the first two phases of, of fighting, the gripping and the off-balance. And if yeah. he susses them out, you can't finish your technique anyway. Yeah. And, like, I, I caught... So when Roger was fighting MMA, he asked me to go spar with him, stood up. So my original background is karate, um, since I was, like, a kid. And then uh, boxer as well. Before I fell in love with grappling, I realized it was way better. But... Uh, <laughs> So I'm an all right spiker, like competing and stuff and had fights. And uh, so I was helping Roger get ready for his MMA fight. Strike force somewhere. And I'm the same height as Roger. So I can I can kick head height that no problem. So I'm, I'm throwing head kicks at him. And I don't think he's I don't think many people throw head kicks at him. I caught him a couple of times. and He was fine. Like no issue with sparring. It's all good. And then like a week later, he's like, oh, let's roll. And he just beats the shit out of me <laughs> just to like clearly because we rolled before and he's always i'm only like purple at the time or something and he's always been really nice to me and like coaching me and whatever but he just smashed me like not injured me nothing horrible but uh and it was like a little statement of you know know your place bitch <laughs> <laughs> i think that... he, did it, he did it again as a black belt i caught him the whole time. i've i rolled him quite a few times and i've scored on him once ever yeah right? Um, and I caught him with a butterfly sweep and it's, it's like one of my favorite moves. And like, I like, I genuinely caught him with this butterfly sweep. Maybe it's taking me lightly that day or whatever. And, uh, then obviously he didn't like the fact I'd scored and he went a hundred percent Roger. Same thing, not trying to hurt me, but like, all right, you're scoring points. So I'm going to go hard. And it's, yeah. uh, proceeded and like, he got mount and like, I can't escape Roger's mount. No one can. So I like tapped and he's like, no, 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 no. No, no, no. You wait for the choke, man. You're not tapping to <laughs> You can't tap to the position. I was like, fair enough. It's well, that's point. <laughs> um, what I did. What I, I look at Hodges' game very much like um, Gordon Ryan when he fought Jacob Couch. Was it Couch? Yeah. So I, I had Couch all my lads go. Because we'd just done a load of work on S-mount and, and pressuring into the arm lock and things like that. Um, and then literally that fight happened and few of my lads come back to me and went, oh have you watched it yet uh you know he tapped to pressure he tapped to pressure and I went okay you've you've tweaked my interest I'll go and watch it so I went away and watched it and I went looking at the position Gordon was sat in I I genuinely don't believe he tapped to pressure I think 
he tapped to the fact that he'd offered Gordon 10, 15, 20 different submissions and he just didn't take them. He, yeah, didn't, yeah. he didn't want he, them. He, he just wanted a way out. Couldn't... Yeah, so he just he tapped. I, d- I don't think... There will have been some pressure because obviously there's a 200 and... What is it? Wait, it's basically 100 and something kilo, isn't it? Yeah. So this 100 and something kilo guy sat on top of you. So there will, there will be an element of pressure, but I don't think he was specifically driving down with pressure to get a tap. I think he just got just there and... broke him. Yeah, he just, he just got in his head. Just broke. Yeah. But I mean, that's the, that's the ultimate thing, right? If you can just make someone give up because they just feel so powerless. It's yeah. Like, it's better than a submission, isn't it? So I got a question for you. What do you, what do you think of the Gordon Ryan evolution in terms of no more bowing it's it's trash talks and he's like it's not about being respectful and he sells it because i mean it's made the sport bigger Mm -hmm. made him more money um i want before i give you my opinion i want your opinion see my i don't i'm i very much go with the the saying that your your opinion only matters to you and your mother that's yeah. it. So, so, and and again, the same with me here. My opinion here only matters to me and my mum, and my mum doesn't give a crap about Gordon Ryan. So, it literally, only matters to me. I, I don't, I don't. Well, I mean, you teach the sport, and it, like, do you? Would you rather teach a sport that was very judo style, right? Very bowing and respectful, or more Conor McGregor MMA end of it? I, I'd probably go midway between the two because I can't be faffed with any of the politics. I don't, yeah. I don't buy into any of that. One of uh, one of my sort of fallouts in the past was due to politics. I just I didn't want anything to do with it. Um, it's happened to all of us, buddy. Yeah, like I say, my my fallout in the past it was due, just purely due to politics and um, being told I couldn't do something when there was no legitimate reason why. I just kind of went right. Well, no, I'm I'm. I'm an adult, believe it or not, so I'll I'll do yeah. what I want. Um, I, I fall in between. I think it doesn't bother me in the slightest that he trash talks people. It, mm. I, I I don't get involved enough for it to for it to bother me. Um, I don't think it should be completely the other way as well because we all end up on our high horse that you know it's we've got to be respectful and bow at everybody and this that and the other when. Jiu-Jitsu was created by the Graces gym-storming people and beating them up on a beach. Like, yeah. it, it, it was founded in violence, not yeah. in stepping on a mat and bowing at people. So if we now turn around and go, every time we step on the mat, we're going to bow at each other and shake hands and, you know, be 100% respectful to everybody 100% of the time, we're, we're sort of taking what jiu-jitsu was created from and denying it. It it was created through human brutality. And I I don't know how many people know nowadays, it was common knowledge when we, well, it will have been when you started and when I started, but the Gracies essentially started the UFC so they could beat a load of people up in front of everybody. Yeah, and then there's an argument they chose people that they knew would be pretty easy to beat up. Well, (laughs) yeah, exactly. (laughs) But But it's one of those things where, Yes, they did. They might have chose people that were going to be easier to beat up, but on the flip side of it, they put in Hoist instead of Hickson, so it would look more impressive. Yeah, and they put in Ken Shamrock, who's like you know 
knew some grappling. Yeah. Like a challenge. Yeah. So I think if if we if we try and look at it and treat it as we would if we were doing judo and sort of bowed at everybody all the time and claimed that that's what we were all about, we'd be lying because it's not. Yeah. I you know I remember stories of uh, stories from Legato where. He was told to go and scrap with somebody on a beach by, I can't, I can't remember who it was, but I think it was his dad had said, oh, you know, you, you go and fight with that lad and you tell him that if he beats you, then he gets whatever. But if you beat him, he's got to go and join the gym. I'm like, <laughs> That's aggressive marketing. Well, but then we, we look at that and you go, well, if that's how it started, yeah, yeah. at what point did we go, right, now we have to stand in lines and... All wear the same and bow like, mm, yeah. I'm, no, I'm with you. Um, that that's my view. I'd say if, if you want to trash talk people, trash talk people, but be clever with it. Yeah, yeah. I mate, don't. Mate, I think I think you're right. I think you're spot on. My my thing is that the whole jiu-jitsu has this. You have to leave your ego at the door, which is the biggest load of horseshit I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Because you need to leave your ego at the door, as in not throw your toys at the pram if you lose. But the fact you want to come back and win means you've got an ego, right? Yeah, the fact absolutely. That you want to, you'd have to have, like, you've got to have a pretty big ego to be like, I'm going to dedicate 10, 15 years of my life to being a flat belt so I can choke people out. Like, <laughs> there's like, yeah, I think that's pretty, that's an ego person. Like, and like, maybe someone's got it in control. Definitely, you know, there's, there's that element of it, but. The whole leave your ego at the door is stupid. And why why are you going to a competition to win a gold medal if you don't have an ego? Like, what's that about? Yeah, like, I think um, Lloyd Cooper actually put a post on a couple of months ago about ego, and I think he, he was pretty much spot on. I think you've got to have an element of ego to be able to do this. And you've got to be a little bit weird because you're rolling on the floor with men who are dripping sweat in your eyes. So Super weird, yeah. yeah you, you've got to be weird. But I think yeah. a, a better phrase than leave leave your ego at the door is keep your ego in check. So if you go in and you are full ego and you get off on how many times you've subbed X amount of people during that day, that's not going to benefit you. If you only go in and work your A game all the time, fine, your A game might be fine, but what about when you then put on your back and you're getting smashed? Yeah. You know, what does that count for? And I guarantee if you're fighting like that, the day somebody puts you on your back and smashes you, you're going to feel like shit. Whereas what I like to do and what I, what I try to encourage people to do is work where you're weak. So then you yeah. have to get beaten up. Yeah, my argument with that is that's me. I do that because of my ego, because I want to be better. Yeah. Right. And I want to be good. So I go in and go in my like in my mind, going in and just doing the A game. That isn't like I maybe it's like a temporary ego boost, mm. but I'm like maybe it's just that's the difference. It's like a long term ego mindset instead of a short term ego mindset. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I will comfortably say I am I have more ego now than when I started because I know I'm a hell of a lot better. Yeah, and you, you run a business, you're yeah, a dad, and, like there's a lot of other stuff that, like, you know, yeah, and, you feel and I'm very, I'm very confident in what I do and what I offer. Um, yeah. And I, I, I sort of, when I'm going to teach my guard retention seminar, I say, look, I'm not going to be modest about this. If you pay attention and you listen to what I say, you will learn something and it will be worth your time. 
Like mm. This is a very, very good system, and I know it is because I've spent a lot of time working on it, yep. and, and I know it works. And it was, oh, that's, that's not very modest. I'm, like, I'm not here to be modest. I'm here to teach you something, and if I'm confident in what I'm teaching, why would I be modest about it? Especially if you're selling something. I mean, you're doing it for a living. So essentially, you're, you're selling a product. Would like would Apple come up with a new phone and be like, oh, we think it's okay, but you know, you make your mind up. It's like, no, they're going to go, this is the best phone. This is a great phone. Yeah. This is a good product. But the, so, the difference there is because they're it. talking about an object, you don't see it as yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Because they're talking about yeah. an object, it's it's very different. It's, it's, it's strange. Marketing strategies are fascinating, but... That's a different subject altogether. Yeah, but I, I, it's like my my thing is, I don't. I think I hopefully got my ego in check, but I have a strong self belief, and I, that's an evidence based self belief that when I put my mind to things, most of the time I achieve a good result, and that's I've done that repeatedly. Mm. So it's like, is that ego or is that just going off the evidence in front of me? And yeah. then. I think a lot of people suddenly go as well. It's like, you know, like the second you achieve something, it doesn't feel so impressive. So I think a lot of black belts will be like, how can you have an ego when you're not Bushesha or Roger or something else? You're just, you know, you're running the mill black belt. And it's like, but that's still pretty freaking hard to achieve. So like, it gives me confidence. Yeah. And I think everybody's goals are different. I, I've, I'll stand here and say, like I've said many times, my goal was never, ever to be a world champion. Yeah. My goal was, when I started, was to see what I could do. And that was it. It was literally to see what I yeah. could do. Then I competed. I thought, well, I'll see if I can hang with all these weirdos with two arms. And I've managed to do that. Amazing. You know, I can, yeah. I'll win some, I'll lose some. I'm, I'm, I'm not particularly, you know, unbeatable. But I'm very comfortable with what I am. My, my, only goal now is to be the best instructor I can possibly be. Yeah. So, well, you know, could, could I have an ego and not be Hodger or Bushesha or go, well, yeah. I, yeah. Their goals are very, very different to mine. My goal is purely to be able to pass on as much knowledge as I can in a way that benefits everybody else. And I think to be one of those guys, it takes a certain mindset and you got to pay a certain price. And essentially, I'm not willing to pay that price. Like, I was willing to pay the price of being fighting MMA and being a competitor in my early 20s when I had no responsibilities. Mm. But, you know, I've got, I have four children and a lovely wife. And if I suddenly decide that I want to even win something, if, I just, if my goal was Masters World, say, yeah, right, I think I would struggle to be that level and also maintain the level of instructor businessman husband and what uh, husband and father that i could be and achieve that goal so it's like i'm just not willing to pay the price yeah i'd I think, rather i'd rather get tapped out <laughs> yeah i like um I, I did a little bit of mma before i even knew what jiu-jitsu was essentially i think my last mma fight i did <laughs> I, I was a purple belt and uh it was an absolute fat i, I thought oh i re- I reckon I can fly in knee this guy. My striking's limited. Like, why? Why the hell I thought that? I don't know. 
So I kind of watching the watching the video back, I kind of skipped in and then doubted myself and got absolutely slogged. Right, very nearly knocked out. I need, I need to see the video, buddy. I need evidence of this. Oh, mate. Um, it's honestly, it's an absolute faff. And then, and then I get up. My depth perception's gone, so I'm throwing leg kicks, and he's like six foot away from me. And I'm thinking, ah, I just missed him. And he's literally. I'm Is throw- this on YouTube? It Come might be, YouTube. mate. Yeah, I, if you searched it, it'll probably be on there somewhere, um, or share fight or something like that. And then, uh, and then I threw one punch. In all the MMA fights I've done, I've thrown one punch. And in that one punch, I broke my hand. So I threw one punch, hit him square on his forehead and broke my hand. Then he hit me again and I went back down and I just went, do you know what? I'm not going to get back up. And if he follows me down, that's my job done. So he followed me down. I managed to get on his leg and footlock him. So I won the fight, but it was the most diabolical performance I've ever done in my life. It was an absolute... Wash of crap, and I was. Is just... this, this is the, I feel like this is the memory you you go to when you need your ego in check. Yeah, this is the yeah. That's it. That's it. It's, I still won the fight, but my god, it was an absolute <laughs> farce. And but I, I stood up afterwards, sort of looked at my hand after they took the glove off, after checking hands with people, going, "Oh, that hurts." And I looked at it, and it was completely snapped. And I went, oh, "I need to go home and wipe my ass." Went tomorrow morning. <laughs> That's a yeah. I mean, being a one-handed man, that's like that's a that's a tough position. Yeah. So I, so I went I went back into the doctors and I went. Uh, they, they they were going to surgically fix it and they went right. Well, we're going to do this, realign it, and then we'll cast it for six weeks. So I went. All right. Who's going to wipe my ass for six weeks then? <laughs> oh. Uh, 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 and I went. That's not going to work. Try again. And he went, oh, well, we could uh, set it and put a rod through it, but we'll still have to cast it. To, uh, cast it. I went, you're not listening to me, are you? So you cannot cast my arm unless you're going to send somebody home to wipe my ass for me every day. Oh, uh, uh, well, I guess we could put a plate on it and splint it then. I went, well, that'll have to do. <laughs> and that was it. Like, Yeah, after that, I just thought, yeah, MMA is not for me um, just because of that. Just because of that and that alone. I was... I stopped doing it because I found it terrifying. And uh, my, la- my last fight, I, I got a straight footlock on the dude and I could feel it popping and cracking. And he just, nothing, no reaction in his face. I armbarred him, dislocated his elbow. He popped it back in and then hit me. <laughs> That's a bit like... <laughs> cyborgish, that, isn't it? That's a bit weird. And then, and then he hit me so hard with some ground and pound shots. And uh, it's an amateur fight, but like, uh, title fight, amateur title on this show, and like the guy was very good, he's like undefeated. And then I caught a triangle from the bottom, and he tapped out because he's about to pass out, and I won. But I realized I don't have the same mindset as him. No, right? He's like in my mind, he's a he's a fighter, he's a prize fighter, cage fighter, whatever you want to call it. And I realized I'm not. Like if if you grab my arm, I'm just gonna tap, right? And, yeah, like, I want to be no... lip pick my kids up tomorrow, that sort of thing. Yeah, I'm no Henzo Gracie letting Sakuraba snap my arm. I'm just like, and then, like, my last few fights, I just felt, I won my last few, uh, and I just felt bad afterwards. I would feel like, I felt good winning, but immediately after, I'd always feel sorry for my opponent. Like, I'd go and have a beer with them, you know, they'd be down because they'd lost, and I was just like, I've just, I feel like my happiness is based off of that person's misery. And when I was young, I was okay with it, and the older I've got, the less I like it. So you you become more empathetic as you've got older. 
Yeah, I mean, it might be being a dad or something. Or yeah, being, maybe. Like being a teacher, I don't know. But they, uh, I've just... And then, like, you know, I think there's something about young men go to war because they got high testosterone levels and whatever else, and older men don't. It's like, maybe I'm just over that war stage of my life. Yeah, I don't know. And I have... also, I proved everything I wanted to prove as well. I kind of didn't really have any more I wanted to do. Yeah, I think... I mean, I, I said to... I said to my wife, I'm not saying I will never, ever, ever step in an MMA cage again. But I am saying I've got yeah. no plans to do it. Yeah, that's how I feel. Really. But the but the majority... skill, I'd, li- I'd like to know if I could. That's the thing. Because me and... I commentate with uh, Steve Brinkman, another Roger Gracie black belt. And he was a champion on the same show and both ended up commentating. And we were chatting on one of them about if we could hang with the next generation. And there's a load of... And they're, they're much better. They've got more. There's videos you can study. There's better instructors, better gyms everywhere. Like, it's moved on so much since we were fighting. And my argument is I don't think I could. And his argument is that he'd smash everyone. But <laughs> <laughs> I think, it, it's, I'd like to know. I think there's, especially with MMA, there's, it almost goes through waves. So initially you had your styles versus styles. And that was, you know, yeah. that was when... You sort of usually your wrestlers and your grapplers would dominate, but then there would be an odd striker that had good takedown defense that would dominate from that perspective as well. Then it kind of hit a phase where everybody became really, really well-rounded. And I think we're yeah. just leaving that phase now where you've got to be well-rounded, but you have to be better than everybody in one specific place. And I think... Yeah. That is essentially what MMA will do is it will just go all-rounders, specialists, all-rounders, specialists, and it will just carry on doing that over and over and over. But, but I think I, I kind of I try and communicate this to my students. The, the, off- the defense is always easier than the offense. You know, to do an armbar is a lot easier than, a lot harder than stopping an armbar. You know, mm. to, to do a triangle is a lot harder than stopping a triangle. And uh, so you'll catch someone for a little while, but they're going to be able to figure out the defense a lot faster. They can catch up, essentially. And yeah. I think MMA has that element to it. And it's why it's why it's so much fun, though. And it's why jiu-jitsu is so interesting as well, because you kind of, you look at this generation now of the Craig Jones, Lachlan Giles, Gordon Ryan's coming through, and every big comp, they have essentially come up with something new. It's mm. like innovation seems to be the thing that wins now. Yeah, I think quite it's... Yeah, I think essentially just slightly staying ahead of that curve. Yeah, and 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 it's I, I'm I'm gonna not everybody's gonna agree with me on this, but I am gonna say it anyway because I don't care. Um, I think because they get so much exposure, people are always trying to catch up with what they're doing. So whatever they're doing yeah. becomes a little bit of a trend. Same with the Rotolos with the buggy choke. People are trying yeah. to catch up with that. And then by the time people are catching up with it, they're already going, well, all right, well, we've done that. Let's try to do something else. So they're already moving. So they're almost heading up what everybody is doing. So they're not necessarily inventing anything new. They're just attacking different things and everybody's chasing them. Yeah. As opposed to, I guess, I guess you've got to chase until you get to a certain level and then you have to be innovative. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of guys are very good students, but not good inventors yeah i i don't um everyone at my gym for a while wanted to focus on 
leg locks after the last ADCC when it was Lachlan just bashed his way through loads of people with him. Craig Jones was doing well. Gordon and Gary, had, you know, they've all come through as leg lock specialists. And I was like, well, I need to learn it as well. So I'm more than happy to do it all with you. But it's not going to be my primary focus because I still believe just get on top and smash them into yeah. the ground and let them feel like they want the ground to swallow, open up and swallow them. I think that's the yeah. best way of winning. Um, and the proof in that is my little brother's probably the, the the best he's ever been. His leg lock defense is fairly good, but he's never really focused on attacking them. His toe holds are quite good. Uh, he, he he tried attacking a couple, and I told him off for it because he was attacking them on top. And what I want him to do yeah. on top is get past, smash, and just just absolutely just do everything he can to smother the person underneath. And I think over the next 12, 18 months, as he gets better and starts to develop his fighting style, it will all be based around that. I think Ashley Williams was the best example of that. While everyone else was obsessing with leg locks, he was almost obsessing with how can I pass when someone tries to leg lock me? Yeah. And we just get into position on everyone, you know, doing so well on Polaris out of what at the time was a relatively small gym in Wales without, you know, a load of world champion training partners and hanging with all the Danaher guys and stuff because he had a different focus to everyone else. Yeah. And same with, uh, same with Fion as well. Yeah. It's yeah, exactly the same. And I think you've got to, you've got to have what you like to do. You've got to have your A game and you've got to work towards that. And you have to acknowledge everything else because it can happen. But yeah. you've got to have where you're comfortable and, and have an aim to make the fight go in that direction. Because I'm completely a guard player. Uh, and like, I, I, I can pass. It's just I'm not a good wrestler. Yeah. And when I start, when I started jiu-jitsu, like, I think we've been doing it a similar amount of time. It was, it was just impossible to train that. You like I did judo because mm. that was close to get, but then judo is so different because they stand so tall. Yeah. Jiu-jitsu, everyone sticks their ass out, and then suddenly judo doesn't work. And so to win competitions, even MMA, I would just shoot when they sprawled at full guard. Yeah. And it, it seemed like it was a much easier way of getting the fight to the floor. Where you're then, then comfortable with there, it. Yeah, and then from there, I had a big disparity in skill level because jiu-jitsu was relatively new to UK. Like I'm fighting guys that do. MMA grappling mm. and I'm a purple bat under Roger so like I'm, I can tap them out from my back um, but with my students now I'm like you know wrestle like wrestle 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 and do more wrestling like yeah it's <laughs> easier to be on top than it is to be underneath oh 100% and then you know you've got it's bit MMA especially you've got that in your pocket if you can control where the fight is and that's I think the ADCC rule set has really changed that now it's like it's put the emphasis on wrestling and then I almost feel like it's not Brazilian jiu-jitsu anymore. It's become submission grappling, which I quite like. Yeah, I, I think it, especially it. in the nogi, especially in the nogi. Brazilian yeah. jiu-jitsu is in the gi. Submission wrestling or submission grappling or whatever you want to call it is is nogi. Yeah. I think that they are I, two I, very different entities and they will carry on going the separate... There'll always be a link there, but I think they'll carry on going the separate ways. I like that. I think, why not? Why not play completely insane lapel guards in one sport and then tear people's heels off in the other sport and like yes. why not and then people can find what they like and it, the sport's evolving and I think losing the Brazilian bit a bit 
on the nogi side of it is fair because it's everything it's russian leg locks it's japanese hip throws it's mm. even english folk wrestling in there or whatever it is and then greek pancration wrestling and it's 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 kind of it's everything throughout history put together into one yeah. grappling martial art so to put brazilian at the start of it i never i don't quite get yeah i think just calling it submission grappling is fine because yeah I've... and then i have a slight issue with the belts as well what it, like i tell you what i think you can say say if you agree i think a lot of people get frustrated with the amount of time it takes or they feel this guy's ahead or they should have got a stripe and then because they're so motivated by the grade whereas if i love playing football i would just play football i wouldn't play football because you're going to give me a black t-shirt one day i would just enjoy playing football i think maybe jiu-jitsu yeah. needs to go that way and then us as or me you're young me as an older grappler this kind of expectation that you're a black belt so you should be able to beat 24 year old competitive purple belt it's like no 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 <laughs> would a 40 year old footballer be able to beat a 24 year old footballer no it's like how come in this sport we put on this strap that says i should be able to beat you it doesn't make sense i think uh yeah i, I can see exactly what you what you're thinking with it i think i don't look at a belt as a, a level of fighter anymore um i tend to look at a belt as a level of knowledge yeah and that's I think a good way of looking. I, I look at it as so i if I was to get asked by my students when they come up to me, oh, you know, what do I, what, what do you want me to, what, what do I need to work on? What do you want me to work on? I'll tell them exactly what I think they should be working on. So one of them, I went, uh, I go do a load of half guard. Your knee's been playing up. You're pretty solid on top. Just go and play a load of half guard on bottom. And for the next yeah. pretty much six months, he exclusively put himself in half guard and developed his half guard really well. And I've had other students that have come up and gone, oh, you know, what should I work on? I'm like, get on your back and play off your ass because you constantly play on top and you're good on top and that's fine. And I've never seen them. I think they did it for a week. Yeah. yeah. So They're I'm totally more... Yeah, but but if, I, if you've come to me and asked me what you need to do to improve and I've told you and you've dismissed it, don't expect me to be strapping a new belt around your waist at any time soon. Yeah, yeah. That... And I, I think it is on it's on us as instructors to tell the students why i think a lot of people think that we a lot of students think we have some like mythical insight and that we're holding them back because of x y yeah because there's a curriculum or now <laughs> if you're competent like, if yeah. you're competent and, and and show signs that you are doing your best to become a better overall grappler and increase your knowledge in every area you don't have to be superb you just have to increase yeah. your knowledge in every area. Then, I, I, yeah. th then that's when I start going, right, well, yeah, I'll consider you for your next promotion. But if I go, your leg lock defense is crap, go and work on it, and you never, ever do it, why would I? Does, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think there's a real issue as well. I don't know if it's like a martial arts issue or something that comes from it's a hangover from like martial arts movies or karate classes or something where there's a dynamic where maybe the feel the students feel like they owe you as an instructor, whereas the reverse is true. You know that the students are paying your bills and my bills, yeah, 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 right. And I have a duty of care to you and a duty of that I should be helping you improve. 
So if you're not getting what you want, be it a competition result, a belt, whatever it is, you should be coming to me because I'm offering this service. The same as if you didn't like food in a restaurant, you should say, I didn't like the food. You know, there was something wrong with it. You should be coming to me and going, what do I need to do to get this belt? What do I need to do to improve? Why haven't I been graded, you know, even as fast as someone else or whatever? And it, what students don't realize is often it's because we've got a lot of students and we might slightly overlook someone mm. or, you know, is it, there's a turnover of white belts all the time. And if you've been overlooked for a stripe, it's not necessary because I have some genius insight and I'm, st I'm meditating below a waterfall about when to give you the stripe. I could have just forgotten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's way more likely than I'm holding you back. Because if I'm holding you back, I'm failing as an instructor. So if I'm holding you back, it's because I've failed you, not that you failed yeah. me. Yeah, you know? again, it's why I don't quite, I don't understand keeping people at a belt just because they can go to, you know, they're, I don't, I don't, just like a really small town competition and win a gold medal because it doesn't it, yeah yeah i mean if you've won I, I very much look at belts and i've said i can't remember who i said it to but i basically said if you if you're going to competitions and you've been to five smaller competitions and you've won five gold medals and you've fought five different sets of people in that time and you've proved yourself i've got no reason to hold you at white belt or blue belt yeah because yeah, you're yeah. you're obviously proving yourself, but yeah, I, I've got nothing against somebody coming to ask me, going, "Oh, what do I need to do to get my next belt, or what do I need to do to improve?" You have to ask yeah. me, otherwise, how the hell do you know? Yeah, yeah, and that's like it's a hundred. I I just had a a student, and they were they just quit as, as a four strike white belt, and literally the last class. Like the last time I saw them, the next day their blue belt turned up in the post, ready for me to give them. So they had to do one more class. That was it. Yeah. And it, they've obviously reached the cutoff point, uh, where they were like, "No, it's not worth the effort" or whatever. But if they just come spoke to me. I'd have been like, "Look, I'm giving it you any day now. Come on, mate. Like, keep coming. You're almost there." But this just just gone, just disappeared. Yeah, like... it's. I mean, it's. A sh I tend to. I'll always try and follow. If I've not seen somebody in a while, I try and follow up. I, I'm usually. It's after I've not seen them for a few months before I've even twigged because I am that useless. Yeah. And it's yeah. just because, if I'm honest, my head's up my own ass, and then I'll go, oh, I haven't seen that person in a while. Then I will follow them up. Um, it could be as simple as, or oh, family life's got a bit busy, work's got a bit busy, or, you know, they, they got a bit demotivated because of X, Y, Z. Um, and sometimes it, if it is that they got a bit demotivated and I can find out why... I can make a change so that they become more comfortable. Mm. Um, you know, I, I'm always open to making everything better for people. If there's ways I can improve, yeah. I want to be told just as much as every, as you want to be told how I can help you improve your grappling. Yeah. So. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, if your business is better, if your retention rate is better, you can have busier classes, you can make more money, like you're you've got more people to teach, share your passion with. So it's, yeah, like, exactly. it's just a win-win. Yeah, I can see that. That's yeah, a good exactly. Move. So before we finish off, you need to fill us in on the charity <laughs> seminar in September because we've gone an hour and a bit without even mentioning it. I should have probably kicked that at the beginning, eh? People tuned off, uh, tuned out by now. Tuned out, it's the old school expression, isn't it? Radio. Just press stop now. <laughs> but um, They've probably got to uh, where yeah. they're driving to and... <laughs> <laughs> who's this guy um yeah so 
Uh, the, I mean, this is the first time that I've put it out there publicly. Going to be, I think, next week putting out social media posts and things. Hopefully, you'll be sharing. Um, so my goal is I'm trying to put together what will hopefully be the biggest event in the history of UK Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. If it's not, and seven people turn up, fuck it, I tried. Um, <laughs> and uh, and they're also raising a load of money for some uh, really deserving uh, charities and, and families. Uh, so what it is, it's in High Wycombe, 10th of September, the High Wycombe Judo Centre, amazing venue where there's been Jiu-Jitsu comps there and things, huge permanent mat, uh, like stadium seating. And uh, we've got like 25 of the UK's best instructors that are all giving up their time for free to come along like yourself, travel half the country. Um, and then if you come and join in, we'll be putting you in small groups. So it's not like a normal seminar. You'd be in a group of like five people and you get your five will get, you know, close attention from Jed Hugh, Sam K, uh, everyone really, Dan Strauss, like a lot of big names. Well, you got, I you think can, Lee Remedios is coming as well because I'm speaking to him later. Lee, yeah, the man from the old school UFC, Lee Remedios, used to fought on Brawl the Royal by Albert Hall back in the day. And, and, and I mean, more names beyond that. So many amazing black belts and instructors teaching. And because you're in small groups, you know, you can, they can teach you whatever they want, but you can ask, you can get feedback, you can get help, which a normal seminar of this 30, 50 people or whatever, you don't get much attention. Mm. So you're going to get way more attention. With the time limit, you'll probably get to train with about 10 of those instructors, probably not everyone, but you can ask specifically if you want to train with one of them to come to your group. Uh, and then the minimum donation is 20 quid. So for 20 quid, you get 10 little 10 to 15 minute training sessions with 10 of the best instructors in the country, which I think presents pretty good value. And all that money is going to families with terminally ill parents or children so that they can have holidays and days out and stuff like that and enjoy the time they've got together. Um, and then part of the reason I want to put it together is, is like you, I get frustrated with the politics of the industry we're in, the martial art we do. So getting everyone together and training together and doesn't matter what team you're from, what affiliation, whatever else. And you just share the passion for this martial art and get better together. It's like, that's part of the goal as well is to like spread that dream of we're all one. Let's love each other and get on. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's a damn good way of doing it. Let's see, I, I did the charity seminar for the premature births and stuff. Well, yeah. before COVID now. Um, and it was, it was damn good. It was it was good fun. It was yeah. really good fun, and everybody's obviously there because they're into jujitsu. But you're all sort of you're doing something that's you you get something out of it. No matter how you look at it, yeah. you get something out of it. But you're giving something to, and I don't think as well people know how difficult it is for um, families with like terminally ill kids or parents or whatever to be able to go out and yeah do stuff and you think the financial stress you know we all feel guilty when we have to work and we have to sacrifice family time because we've got to go to work yeah right? especially teaching martial arts often we teach every evening and yeah there's a there's a guilt that comes with that that you're not at home with your family having dinner and like if you add on top of that you know these families are going through this terrible thing 
they have these financial constraints on top and then the guilt you feel that you have to work and you're that little bit of time you've got with your family members you're sacrificing it because you've got to be able to pay the bills mm. and if we can just do a little bit to take some of that pressure away it's like it's got to be a it's got to be a good thing and um i mean part of what i'm hoping to do is we did it before for the rainbow trust who helps families in that position but i don't know if this is going to work out so i might you might have to crop this edit this out of the video one day but uh possibly if i can find you know some people and go direct to them because the charities are running cost of five percent or ten percent or mm. whatever and i just want all the money to go to the families that deserve it so if we can find i'm sure it won't be too hard to find but if we can find people you know that it could really make a difference like I, i'll just go to them and give them the money yeah Why i think not? i think it's a good idea i was um i worked with the, when, when i did it it was for the royal lancaster infirmary where my kids were um it was for their neonatal unit and then we had it with bliss um which is the premature birth charity and i went to them um and at bliss they actually went right what do you want this money to be used for yeah so they actually asked me what i wanted it to be used for straight away um and for me it was quite obvious because a premature birth is really really traumatic for the parents yeah um because you're helpless you're absolutely helpless and it's and it's horrible but there's uh, when we were there there was no sort of help to sort of talk you through things help you deal with it there was no psychologist or therapist or anything that, that would have been really useful at the time um so i said to both the Royal Lancaster Infirmary and Bliss that if it goes towards anything, put it towards therapists that will go around and speak to the parents at the time and just try and make life a bit easier for them. Because um, I think it, yep. in hindsight, it was something that would have been brilliant. And I've actually spoken to people that have had children in Lancaster since and they've been premature and they now have a, a full-time psychologist that works on the neonatal unit. Obviously, a full-time psychologist is paid per year a lot more than I donated, but I like to think that just in sort of offering the money and requesting that, that it had a say in it because it wasn't there before. Yep. That's amazing, man. And I think especially we have very – you and I, we're, we have very lucky lives where we do what we love for a living. Exactly. And we get to, you know, I have this slight existential – guilt about how nice my life is to be honest <laughs> and uh if i can alleviate some of my own personal guilt by helping other people out it's like it's all good around i think that's that's, that's essentially where, that where... Wrong way of looking at it it's no like a no good deed. i think that, that that's where <laughs> that's where charity comes from i don't think there is a purely selfless good deed because you're always yeah. going to feel a little bit of happiness and a little bit of pride in it um or you're doing it like you said to alleviate some guilt because you're quite comfortable. I, so I don't yeah. think there is a purely selfless good deed. You know, you might stop at a car crash and wrap a blanket around somebody. You'll feel good that you've helped them at that time. Yeah, yeah you, definitely. There isn't an entirely selfless good deed. Anybody that says there is is a liar. And also, like, I'm not... I don't really, I don't like organising stuff. I hate organising anything. I like My cushy life is like, I like just teaching classes... Doing privates 
and like just mooching from one to the other and just keep going and like I don't have this like take over the world plans. And if it was just oh organize this big event to make money, I wouldn't it wouldn't be motivating enough for me. I wouldn't do it. Yeah. But if it's, you know, organize it to give back, you know, to help out people in that situation, that's enough motivation that I'll actually get off my ass and go organize something. No, <laughs> so when when it comes about to book, how are people gonna book on? So you don't need to book a place. You just need to turn up and it's the 10th of uh, September. And if you can follow Sam, he'll be sharing all the information about it on his social media pages. Uh, if you'd like to follow me, it's at Chris Fensom, F-E-N-S-O-M, for the M on the end. Uh, B-J-J, that's, uh, uh, I do Instagram mostly. I don't think I've been on Twitter in about three years. So go on Instagram, <laughs> at Chris Fensom, B-J-J, and give me a follow. Uh, or just follow Sam, which you're probably already doing, or Mats in the Mountains, which you're probably already doing. Oh, and, wrong one. Uh, wrong one. Oh, no, was it? Sorry. No, Lake District BJJ camps. Oh, there's too many of them now. That's the problem. Yeah, no. We, we, <laughs> do you know what? I, I don't mind because we, we started off doing them, and I sort of I just went, well, there is no camps in this country, so I'll start doing them. And I quite like the fact that other people are doing them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, do, you, do you know that we did, I did one few like a month ago did you know that i didn't i'm not trying to step on your toes but no 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 <laughs> like it doesn't it doesn't i said to when i've done it with owen owen lives he came up and did uh a camp with us and then went away and did one in hull for him setting that might yeah i'm not i never it i think it's brilliant yeah like ben richardson one of my students he was he lives you know, up here now doesn't he yeah, I was coming up to, where is he, Keswick. I was coming up to Keswick to give him his black belt. He didn't know. And then it was, you know, let's make a weekend of it. Put on a few seminars, invite a few people. He owns a guest house, so it's just 20 people. You know, it's like a very small thing. Um, so, yeah, we did a little one, and it was, it was a lot of fun. But I didn't want to, like, <laughs> I didn't want to steal your business or anything. No. <laughs> I guess there's enough There's enough to go around. Well, that's it. And Jiu-Jitsu is constantly growing. Um, and I think... There's, there's plenty of room for it. Yeah. There's plenty. If if it wasn't constantly growing, I wouldn't be sort of sit on an evening going, I wonder if this would work or that would work or if I did this here. And if it wasn't such a growing sport, I wouldn't be able to sit there and do that. I'd be trying to yeah. rinse everything out of what I've currently got. Yeah. So, no, I, I like the fact that, 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 you know, the Mats in the Mountains guys do theirs. Um, there's one of the gyms out uh, that's affiliated with us in uh, Kent, uh, I think it's Ashford, Ashford Valley Tudor, they're yeah. going to start doing camps down south. Um, I think it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I, it's great. And I've taught on the Globetrotters camp as well. And like, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. I think. I need to get you on one of those. I'll put in a word for you if you want to go. Oh, I'll go to one. I'll definitely go to one. I just, <laughs> just need to convince my wife. Um. <laughs> They're so much fun to teach on. It's awesome. Yeah, mate, um, i got to run. I've got uh, one of my students is fighting. Oh, so I should probably promote that. I work for Ballerina, one of the UK's biggest uh, MMA promotions. We've got a huge show on the 2nd in Dunstable. So go to ballerina.com.co.uk, whatever it is. Um, check it out if you're anywhere near Dunstable. Amateur and pro fights, like huge matchups on there. We we'll also do a pay per view, so if you want to hear me commentating, you can pay. I think it's twelve pounds to watch the pay per view. Um, 
and it's a it's a brilliant brilliant show because it's that nice kind of medium level where even a basic ticket you've got an awesome view yeah like, you go to ufc you're miles away it's hard to enjoy it you go to this you're supporting local fighters most of them don't do it for a living they're doing it for the love of it um and you're going to have an awesome view where you're literally meters away from the the cage so yeah the that's the second of july in dunstable but we've got about 20 shows this year so if you fancy a show go along to that it's good and then yeah follow me at chris benson bgj and then come along to the charity event the more people the better and like you're gonna have so much instruction you're gonna learn more than you've ever learned in your life personalized instruction best instructors in the country and every penny you give is going to charity to even to do that i've paid all the rent for the location everything out of my own pocket so literally every single penny you donate is going straight to families that need it wicked wicked cool dude. thank you very much chris and if not before, you, I will see you in September. And I'm on the, the Fisty Cuffs podcast tonight, so if anyone wants to listen to me tomorrow. Uh, that, that's, that's, on a, that's a pre-record, so that'll be out before this one, so he'll have to probably go back and root for oh. that one <laughs> to find oh, it. No. I'll be talking more MMA breakdowns, I think, on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, thank you very much, and if not before, I will see you in September. Cheers, mate. I'm going to run away. Thanks, buddy. All right, see you in a bit. Bye. Bye.